Hey, folks, before we get to today's episode of the Total Soccer Show featuring myself and Mr. Ryan Bailey, I wanted to let you know that this episode of the Total Soccer Show is brought to you by DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right now to your door. You or anybody else, maybe you're craving three different things, three different people craving three different things, or you individually just want three different things. All of them can be sent. All of them can arrive. And that, therefore, allows you to continue supporting your local restaurants in your community safely. There are thousands of restaurants open for delivery on DoorDash that need your patronage now more than ever so you can support your favorite local restaurants and feed yourself at the same time. That's always the goal. With over 300,000 partners in the United States, Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia, you can support your local go-tos or choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and Cheesecake Factory if you want to go that route. And if you do, it's worth noting, DoorDash deliveries are contactless. Uh, They keep communities safe, so you're not going to have to interact with anybody. They're just basically going to bang on your door, you're going to open it, and there's going to be food there instead of an Amazon package. It works the same way, except it's delicious food instead of cardboard boxes. Uh, Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code TSS. Once again, that is $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter the code TSS. Don't forget, one more time, that's code TSS for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. Thank you very much to DoorDash for sponsoring this weekend review episode. Now on to me and Ryan. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show, a weekend review edition of the Total Soccer Show, the first one of the new season. My name is Taylor Rockwell. With me is a man who we have brought back out of storage for another Premier League season. It's Ryan Bailey. Hello, Ryan. Hello, hello. Said it's good to be back. Oh, I was just thinking Gary Glitter on your podcast. That's extremely inappropriate. I'm going to stop that right now. Hello. I mean, we'll put you right back in storage if that's what if that's the kind of uh, bar you're setting right now. That, people don't know that. At the end of the season, we put Brian back in his like hermetically sealed box. He goes into storage. He waits there until we're ready for the season to start. We bring him back out, and then he's ready to go, fully recharged, I guess, with Gary Glitter songs in his head. Yeah, let's never speak that name again on this podcast. But I do have a question for you. Having come out of my box in storage, mm-hmm. I've got a beard, right? Yeah. And I know you are a... Uh, very prevalent beard wearer. I think it's you and Lars Sivertson are sort of the podcast world's uh, premier beard wearers. I'll take that. Wearing a mask with a beard, mm-hmm. I find it slightly bothersome. How do you yep. find it? Uh, especially with how big the beard is, it feels a little bit silly. I've, I've been asked that before. Why don't I shave the beard? Because it's quarantine. Because mm. why not? And the answer is I did. And I grew it right back because I've always joked I think many people have heard me make this joke before. I'll make it again that I don't know how many chins I had when I started growing the beard, but I know that I don't know like the number nearly as much now. Or I think I did know like it was probably like one or two chins before it was there. Now it's several and that has been confirmed. So the beard is back. So I've just made my peace with the fact that yes, it is strange to have a small piece of cloth covering a larger fuzzier face. Yeah, so I think I'm going to have to shave the beard because of, because of mask wearing. Mm-hmm. It, it seems to bother me more than I thought it, I would. Anyway, I just thought I'd ask because you have a wonderful, talking, plush, hairy face. Are we talking itchy? To know about or it. is it like, is it just like discomfort? Is it, is it just a weird combination of textures that you don't like? What's the issue? A little bit of column A, a little uh, bit of column B, a little bit of column C. Mm-hmm. Well, you can get some beard oil. You can, uh, you know, make it a little bit less dry, a little bit less itchy. That can help with that. Or you could just shave it off either way. You've got the lovely jawline, Ryan. You can pull it off. Oh, I don't. I'm a, I'm a, I've, I've got a very weak jaw, Taylor, I can assure you. 
Uh, will you have a, a sterner jaw than, say, Spurs, maybe? <laughs> and then maybe, say, oh, Fulham? Uh, we're gonna talk- of, uh, being back at our storage, I'm straight in with the Taylor links. I love them. <laughs> I love them. That was fantastically smooth. I Keep try. it going. I try. Except that it was sort of a workaround because the first game we're going to be talking about, we are going to be reviewing several of the games from this past weekend in the Premier League. We're starting with Liverpool leads, and I would say neither team really has that glass of a jaw. Both teams able to respond. Uh, Leeds continuously pulling one back. Liverpool continuously going ahead, and that's how it finishes 4-3. to three. I have to say, 2020 has not been my favorite year, but a year in which we have Bielsa and Klopp on the sidelines. It can't be that bad, right, Ryan? I feel like this is the start of, like, see, 2021, we've got this happening. Goals are happening. Jose Mourinho's already angry. 2021 is going to be a good year. That's what I'm choosing to believe. Yeah, I mean, wait till November 30, you fully make a decision on <laughs> That's that. A good but point. yes, I, I think you're right. I think this was a wonderful start to the Premier League season. The Battle of the Champions, Leeds' first top flight appearance for 5,964 days. Wow. And Leeds very much as advertised, which mm-hmm. I believe Arlo White said on the commentary. You know, lots of high press, lots of energy, and doing some quite gung ho things, which I think is what we wanted to see from Leeds. But I will echo a small warning. Taylor. I think everyone was very excited about Leeds coming into the Premier League and they're very excited after having seen this first game scoring three goals against the champions in their backyard is an impressive feat in your first uh, time back in this league in a very long time. But do you remember when Norwich came up? Norwich won the championship Mm -hmm. the season before Leeds won it this previous season. Both sort of with a gung-ho style both with a, you know, know, we'll go forward and maybe not care so much about the goals going in at the back, particularly Norwich. And I think we got a little bit excited when Norwich first started out in the Premier League. And I hope that Leeds don't dissipate and disappoint like Norwich did in the same way. Are you with me here? I actually am not quite with you because though I hope Ooh. that they do not disappoint, I think there was a lot to like about this Leeds team in what we saw against Liverpool. Sure. And I felt like though they lost, though they came out of the gates flying, yes, there were some defensive vulnerabilities slash frailties. Uh, I will not deny that. But it did seem as though the systems that were in place, the patterns of play, the like the relationships between the attackers and how they all sort of moved to overwhelm or discombobulate certain Liverpool players, I thought they were reasons for optimism for Leeds fans. I honestly, I thought there were like significant reasons for optimism for Liverpool fans. There has been a sort of reaction to this one of, yes, they won, but they conceded three to a team that have just come up. Like, should they be concerned? Uh, I still have them winning the league. Where are you on that one, Ryan? I still had them not winning the oh, league. Oh, there we go. All right. So, two disagreements already. <laughs> uh, we should find one more just to make it a perfect treble. Off to a um, flying start. Who we never see- disagree on anything as well. This is so strange. I, would, I think it's, it's you know, it's the early days. It's first first match of the season. You never know. It's all the cliches. Uh, but I, well, I think it's I because... I think we'll do this how, how I do most uh, disagreements in my life, Taylor. We'll talk for a little bit and then we'll decide I'm right. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's good to know. I'm glad we've already reached that conclusion. Um, I disagree. There's the third one. All right. We've already done it. Now, now we're good. Um, but I think for Liverpool... I like I didn't watch this game live. So seeing the score, I think I built this idea of like, oh, they are going to be in trouble. This is going to be the frailties and vulnerabilities and it's going to come home to roost. They're not going to be as motivated. And then when I watched it, 
there's a little bit of that because it's the opening day, and I think you do probably have some players just getting back into it. Uh, Mourinho talked about how he didn't really even have a preseason with some of his players. I would assume that extends to Liverpool as well. Mm-hmm. And I still saw the things that Liverpool do very, very well being done very, very well. I saw some things that I think probably by week five are not happening anymore, and then you don't get maybe two of those three goals, and suddenly it's a bit more one-sided. I also think Leeds found some vulnerabilities that Jurgen Klopp will have to deal with. So I thought it was a very... Maybe good way for both teams to start that Liverpool get the win, but still have some things to work on. Leeds do not win, but prove they can score goals, prove they can challenge even a team like Liverpool. Yeah, and it was it was fascinating. It seemed like Bielsa kind of knows what he's doing, Taylor, because he did <laughs> seem to unlock Liverpool in many ways. And one of the intriguing things he was doing a lot of, which um, you haven't seen maybe since the late 90s, was a lot of launching and hoofing long balls over the top Route 1 style. Yeah. And it was kind of like, there's lots of people saying, they've cracked it. They found the way to beat Liverpool. This brand new thing of pressing high and doing long balls. Why has this brand new thing never been attempted before? It has. It's what everybody in England <laughs> used to do. <laughs> it has. But they. I thought it was It was a nice blend of, of sort of Bielsa with long ball. Because it mm-hmm. would be them evading the initial front three pressure to get usually Calvin Phillips, but occasionally other midfielders on the ball. And then it was that long ball. So it was some quick passing to alleviate the pressing. But then the long ball, I hadn't really paid attention to it until you made that note. And going back and looking at it again, you're right. That is a thing they're doing. And I think it's a thing they're doing to make Trent Alexander-Arnold and Andy Robertson stay back a little bit more. I think they're yeah. nervous about that space in behind. And I think that's what leads are clearly trying to exploit. So then you have Alexander-Arnold especially not being able to get as involved in the attack probably as he would like to. And that disrupts some of the rhythm of the attack. So I think that is probably what they were trying to do. And I think to some extent it really worked. I also yeah. thought they had some really good runs and some good interplay that augmented that so it wasn't just route one every single time but i take your point directness with a high line can lead to problems for uh liverpool in this case yeah definitely and, and pick up on the calvin phillips he was excellent the yorkshire pillow doing mm. what uh what he's <laughs> supposed to do and um there was a lot of space around the Liverpool back four, lots of space in and around them, and they were quite disjointed, uh, Trent and Virgil van Dijk not having the best of uh, afternoons in this one. And uh, I think that Leeds' style of hoofing over the top, mm-hmm. uh, taking advantage of the fullbacks being high up the field and drawing them back, as you say, that, well, that really worked to their advantage in, in this game. And I, mm-hmm. I was very impressed with Leeds. Uh, I, I thought they were much stronger in this game than I expected them to be in this game. As I say, Calvin Phillips, I thought was excellent. Uh, who else was good? Like a- a- Ailing and Click were both fantastic. Mm-hmm. Jack Harrison had a rather good game as well. We can yeah. probably talk about that in a minute. Uh, I, I, I think maybe the most impressive performance, though, was Marcelo Bielsa on the sidelines, mm-hmm. squatting for the entire game. Maybe... If you watch it live, he didn't move from that position. <laughs> I, and I, I can squat for maybe three minutes. Yeah. And he's in, he's in his, what is he, in his 60s? And he's doing it for the whole game. It's a deep Very squat, right? impressive. It's a deep squat. It's a deep squat. He's got some, I, I sent my his, wife. His groin, his groin tailor must be very open. That's all I'm saying. He probably does some <laughs> yoga. He, uh, I sent my wife a photo of him just before, uh, um, before Leeds, not Liverpool, Leeds scored their equaliser. And it's him sitting on his, his cooler thing that he has. And I and it was a pop quiz of what is he going to do to celebrate? Uh, she had some suggestions, and the answer was he did one fist bump and then calmly sipped his coffee without moving. He seems very focused on sitting to the extent that I was like, does he have like an ink stain on the pants that he doesn't want people to see? <laughs> he's embarrassed, so he's just keeping hunkered down. That is kind of his approach. But I liked the 
the dedication to sitting, but I did also like that he didn't get overwhelmed. It wasn't a, like, we did it, we scored, because sometimes you can have that huge reaction to scoring a goal like that. But it sort of betrays that you maybe weren't sure that was going to happen or that you feel like this is a fluke of a moment, whereas he felt his reaction seemed to indicate, like, yeah, this, this is usual, let's do it again. And I think that is part and parcel of what he's bringing to that team or has brought to that team, that you could see the patterns of play that Jack Harrison especially, who scores the great goal, but every time Liverpool concede possession or Leeds are able to win it back, he is on his horse immediately. He is looking to run in behind, which means Trent Alexander-Arnold is having to drop to make sure he's paying attention to him. When Alexander-Arnold goes forward, Harrison was constantly on a swivel, constantly checking to see where he was. I think they correctly deduced that Alexander-Arnold is a massive threat coming out, like arriving a little bit late, making those overlapping runs. So I thought the attention to detail there allowed for a lot of the attacking fluency that then follows and I think you mentioned Click earlier uh, Pablo Hernandez also with sort of moving around and they would swap positions and one would advance then the other would advance with like a slinky sort of approach but it seemed like Liverpool had difficulty tracking that which probably gets us to Liverpool because I wasn't maybe as concerned about some of the things I saw as it sounds like you were although I guess you haven't been uh, as high on Liverpool as I've been so maybe it's like we're sort of in the same boat then. I think so, and I think something else at least did was, was exploit a little bit of weakness in Liverpool's midfield in here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry to do it, but I have to pick out Jordan Henderson. No, you should. He, That's fair. He wasn't quite at the races in this game, was he? And no. I think he he was a bit of a weakness. And um, when you've got five players and Click and Harrison doing their temporal pincer movement, moving into the box, tenet joke for you there. Um, <laughs> at, at all times, you need. I think they they needed Fabinho to come in and sort of yep. deal with that press and help out the defense. So that that was something that that Klopp's what was about an hour before that change was made mm-hmm. that was something that needed to be done so um it's <laughs> you have to give Bielsa credit for basically finding all of Liverpool's tiny weaknesses yep. and absolutely exploiting them yeah and and you're I think you're absolutely right to call it Jordan Henderson because that first goal and I think Leeds's third as well comes from sort of uh like midfielders moving around and overloading one side and then overlapping on another and Jordan Henderson I think tries to follow like the second permutation of that and then at that point is reacting to what's happening and isn't tracking runs and that's why there's open space. And it's not great from him, but it, that is mm. also the type of thing that I think is maybe early season jitters, <laughs> early season just sort of like they're not up to the races yet. It's an odd season. We've talked about that at length. We'll probably continue to talk about that. So I think those are just some issues that if this is Liverpool playing Leeds in week five as opposed to week one, I think some of those issues aren't as obvious. Some of them aren't as prevalent, and I think the score is maybe not quite as tight. So that's where I am with my feelings on Liverpool, never mind the fact that then we still have Mohamed Salah banging goals in. Uh, that, like The rifled shot into the top corner is always pretty, especially when it just grazes the underside of the bar. That makes it even better. But I was mm. impressed by uh, Mohamed Salah's attacking performance, Virgil van Dijk. Gets a goal less impressive on the defensive side, but I think we still saw the attacking signs from Liverpool. My expectation is that they shore up some of the defensive issues, they get their fitness back, we see more of the same Liverpool. So that's where I am on them. Is there anything else that you think just isn't quite there, isn't enough for you? What is the main reason why you think, uh, or if there's anything you saw from this game that has you thinking they're not going to be challenging for that title or won't be finishing the season on top? Uh, Well, I'll answer that in two parts. As, As good as Mohamed Salah was, Roberto Firmino was not good in this game. Mm. I think uh, he was mostly invisible in this game. I think he had a couple of pr- sort of chances where he was sort of one-on-one with the keeper almost and mm. 
did not do what Roberto Firmino traditionally yeah. does in that um, instance, which is look away from the ball and do a no look shot. Which is, <laughs> he he uh, he did not score in this game. I think he I think it was the eighty seventh minute yeah. before he had a shot on target in this game, so he was pretty disappointing. But the, the point I made about Liverpool not winning the league this year, I think it's about motivation. I think mm. it's about the fact that in the past eighteen months they've been phenom- phenomenal. Easy for me to say. And where do you go from there once you've yeah. won everything? And also looking back at Klopp's patterns at Borussia Dortmund, I think it was 2011 and 12 when the, he sort of had that electrifying Dortmund team who won the league. And then they finished like 25 points behind uh, Bayern the following season. Admittedly, they made it to the Champions League final the following season, but they were very disappointing in the league. So I think we're going to kind of see that kind of drop off from this I team. And I just, I, I, I just, um, you know, there are full fools error in preseason predictions of this kind, but I just I can yeah. see that Manchester City topped every kind of metric last year. You know, possession, you know, all that kind of stuff. The only metric they didn't win in was points, and I think they can keep going more consistently than this Liverpool side can. Mm-hmm. So for me, I feel like it's a question of motivation. It's a question of. This is a side, let's not forget, the, a newly promoted team just put three goals past them at home. That's not going to help mentally in any way. And sure, they're going to pick up and they'll be challenging for this title. But I just can't believe a team that, what, 190-something points over the past two seasons, I don't believe they'll keep that up for this third season. So two things to say. One, I like kind of agree. One, I kind of disagree. Uh, in talking, this is also a weird timeline thing of we're recording this Monday our review of the first six episodes of All or Nothing, the Tottenham Amazon documentary, uh, will be out, I think, tomorrow. We recorded that on Friday. Then we're going to record the final three episodes, our review of those, at the like later on in the week. But I'm saying that to reference that documentary of in there, there's the idea that Tottenham don't have the winning mentality. Jose Mourinho wants more fight. He wants more passion from them. I'm going to guess that is still the case after this weekend. But I was asking some people who've played professionally about that idea because I don't necessarily buy into the idea of like they just have a loser mentality. They don't have that will to win. My idea is that if you're a professional athlete who really, really, really feels that motivation or feels the motivation it's required to get to that top, top level, the idea of then not having the fight or not having the belief I struggle with. One point that was made to me was that Jurgen Klopp is a very good example of a manager who has found the way to walk the balance of you demand intensity, but you're affable enough that you never truly overwhelm your players. So you have this level of competition in the squad that is also sort of offset by friendly banter and his charm and personality, and that goes a long way. And I think that also explains why Liverpool haven't recruited as much, why they haven't gotten as big, at least in terms of the squad. Because I think he doesn't want some people just sitting on the sidelines being frustrated, being malcontent, complaining about why they aren't getting minutes, and then he has to kind of change up what he's doing. So I think I don't have as many concerns as some people do, not saying you do, but as some people about their lack of depth, their lack of like big-name signings coming in. Mm-hmm. But I do think that I am probably excusing some things in week one that if we see in week three or week five – I am then like, okay, that should have been fixed by now. So maybe the difference or like splitting the difference would be, I think some of your criticisms criticisms are valid, but I think I'm willing to downplay them a little bit because of it of being week one. If we continue to see those, then to me it feels like, okay, they do have some issues. Maybe there is some complacency. Maybe there are some fitness issues that you're not really going to be able to correct anytime soon. Then I will maybe have more doubts about Liverpool's viability for championship retention. Championship retention, mm-hmm. I like that. 
Maybe uh, Leeds will be retaining the championship next season, or one they were in last year. <laughs> that was a bad joke. Um, but I don't think so. Uh, I, I think we can talk later on about who might be relegated because we might be talking about one or two of those teams. All but, right. Uh, I don't think Leeds will be among them. Uh, I don't Nor think do I. Leeds will be a top half finish like most people. A lot of people are predicting sort of a Sheffield United path for this team. Mm-hmm. I could see them being in that sort of Newcastle zone. Can we call it that? Yeah. Yeah, that's a fair zone to put them in. I like that. Well said, Ryan. So, congratulations to Liverpool and Leeds for a very good game to start the season for both of them, Mm. albeit, you know, Leeds probably would have preferred the one point or even the three points as opposed to the zero. But I think it's a statement of intent from them. Ryan, anything else from Liverpool-Leeds before we move on? One thing, uh, I'm going to post something to you. Jack Harrison, Mm. is he the next Gareth Bale? Discuss. Do you mean because of the man bun or because mainly of the because speed? of the man bun, but also because of sort of the uh, the left sided uh, sort of fullback turning into crazy attacking uh, talent? Is there any is there any logic to what I'm saying here? There is. There really is. Actually, now that you mention it, not just because of the hair, but because of the position, because of the tenacity and speed, but also mm. the like Gareth Bale deceptively huge and really difficult to knock around to like displace and so that is part of the reason why that speed is so effective because like there's the famous one of him being knocked out of bounds by a defender but he still stays on his feet rides the challenge and then beats the player to the ball that does feel like a thing jack harrison could do and then the control and finishing i see what you're saying here ryan bailey i like it let's put him at left wing back and see what happens there we go. I've just Googled Jack Harrison golf, and there's a, there's a different golfer called Jack Harrison. Didn't okay. come up with the results I was hoping for. But there is a connection to Jack Harrison and golf, so now it all fits out. If we see <laughs> him take his hair out and it is seven feet long, as was Gareth Bales, oh. then I'll be even more convinced. Majestic. He looked like a Thundercat when he did that. Wonderful. Somebody said he looked like Blanca from Street Fighter, and that yeah. felt very appropriate. That's it. That's the one I was going for. Very good. (laughs) All right. Well, I think that's plenty of Liverpool leads. We're going to talk some other Premier League in a moment. But first, we're going to talk Manscaped. The Manscaped engineering team has just perfected the greatest nether region trimmer ever created. That's my editorializing. The Lawn Mower 3.0. The premium Lawn Mower 3.0, TM, is waterproof, includes an LED light, and is made with advanced skin-safe technology, which reduces nicks and cuts to your delicates, which is definitely ideal. You do not want nits and cuts down there. You do not want nicks and cuts down there. Uh, mm-hmm. You can get this trimmer inside their perfect package 3.0, not 2.0 or 1.0. Perfect package 3.0, which also includes the Manscaped TM Crop Preserver, uh, Nether Regions Deodorant, uh-huh. and Crop Reviver, Nether Regions Toning Spray. Hang on, <laughs> Toning Spray? Both super practical and they smell great too. Toning spray. Gotta get them toned, man. Gotta get them toned. Uh, (laughs) Plus, for a limited time, when you order the perfect package kit, you get two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag and the Manscaped Anti-Chafing Boxer Briefs. Anti-Chafing Cooling Boxer Briefs that I'm going to assume would make summer a bit more uh, palatable, a bit easier to deal with if you're in particularly hotter climates. That sounds nice. Anti-chafing, mm-hmm. cooling boxer briefs. I'm still stuck on toning spray, but a Manscaped boxer briefs of optimal temperature control with their crop cooling technology while keeping your pride and joy supported. The waistband is super elastic, handy with Thanksgiving around the corner, and it reduces chafing and rubbing. Plus, <laughs> when your one. significant other sees this logo, she knows she's got a real Manscaped man with a <laughs> lawnmower and a perfect package 3.0 
I'm going to assume their optimal temperature control does not mean just putting them in the freezer because uh, that would be not really as effective, I don't think. So I'm glad that they figured out a better workaround. Uh, and if you want to explore that workaround, you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code TSS20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code TSS20. Thank you very much to Manscaped for sponsoring this episode of the Total Soccer Show. Ryan, shall we go Spurs Everton? Does that work for you? Tony Express sounds good. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to start with the positives as opposed to the negatives. I think a lot of the coverage has been about Tottenham and their failure to create chances, Mourinho's frustrations in the 1-0 loss to Everton. But let's go with Everton, getting that goal, getting that win, getting a midfield, and that midfield looked good. It did indeed. Uh, old James Rodriguez uh, mm-hmm. and uh, Mr. Decore and Alan as well, all being pretty darn good in this game, weren't they? They actually have a midfield. It's lovely to see. I was particularly impressed with... Are we saying Alan or Alan? How are we going? I think Alan. Yeah. Alan. Mm-hmm. Like a Lotus Alan. I can't, I can't go with like Alan as though he's, I don't know, uh, a... What would that... Well, like an accountant in the Midlands. A plumber from Alan. the Midlands, yeah. yeah. Or right, Alan. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. See, you get what I'm getting at. You got any tone in spray, Alan? Anyway, um, I think he's a good sort of a guy replacement, um, a solid upgrade even. Let's mm. see how that one pans out. But uh, yeah, very, very impressed with this Everton side. You know how Larry David in Cobra Enthusiasm strokes the German shepherd and says, it's nice to be affectionate to something German. I was just sitting there thinking, it is nice to be happy about watching Everton. Right. the same feelings running through my veins watching this. And uh, maybe it's 2020 that, you know, everything's upside down. But watching Everton and thinking, wow, this is good. Very pleasing game to watch. I, I especially enjoy the reaction of Everton fans, both to like some of my uh, predictions about Hamas Rodriguez, uh, a joke I made on Twitter, but also just the vibe seems to be like, okay, let's not, like, we're not entirely sure this is real. Like, this might still be a dream <laughs> that we don't want to wake up from with Carlo Ancelotti in charge, Hamas Rodriguez looking amazing again, Alon bossing midfield, Ducore doing the exact same thing. I, I, there's a vibe of like, let's not talk about this because we don't. We want to make sure it's real first. If this is not real, we're all going to be very, very collectively upset. But trust me, Everton fans, it is real. At least I'm pretty sure it's real. Like I'm, I'm yeah. like 95% sure it's real. And this is um, in the same way that maybe Arsenal were flattered by playing Fulham this weekend. We'll get to that later. But I, I felt a little bit like Everton might have been flattered by playing this Tottenham side in that they had quite a lot of space yeah. in the final third. Their front three had a lot of room to manoeuvre. And it was a bit basketball-esque at times, I thought, you know, with the way it was going back and forth. And uh, I, I thought that, you know, there, there might be some teams who wouldn't afford that front three quite as much space and freedom as they had. But full credit to them because they took advantage of it. And this was a very, very good um, Everton team. You know, the only thing I thought was very odd was um, Pickford's distribution. I think hmm. some people have made something of this in that every other goalkeeper seems to insist on playing short passes out of the back because... They've watched Man City do it. Pickford just hoofing down the field, maybe 20% of the time hitting an Everton player. Bit curious, that. But otherwise, very good. Uh, I am inclined to believe that there's some sort of method to that madness of like, we just want to like give the ball back to Tottenham, watch them fail to create, and then capitalize <laughs> upon that or something. Uh, because this is definitely a game... In contrast to Liverpool Leeds, where I felt like it's week one, we'll see what happens, we'll see like there's some little issues that maybe just need to be tweaked or fine-tuned. Here, Everton played a very good game. I think they did exactly what they wanted to do, but that is sort of the issue, is that they were able to do effectively what they wanted to without much difficulty. That mm. Let's say they're trying to play through the middle. They wanted to go to Alan. Alan wants to play to Ducore. Ducore is going to play forward and then see what his options are. 
ideally, if you're Tottenham, you've got disruptions to that. You're not really letting it get to Elon really easily. And then if it does, you've got people around him instantly pressing and options are cut off. And it felt like Everton played that pass in and he turned and played it forward and Ducore carried it forward as they wanted to, as you would in like training almost, because there just wasn't that intensity to Spurs. And so I take your point that like, to some extent, I think Everton were a little bit flattered by Spurs' kind of lack of defensive fight and their lack of pressing effort. That said, Everton were very, very good. Um, and you look at, like, James comes in, makes his debut, creates five clear chances, which I believe I'm correct in saying is the most by an Everton player uh, in the past two years. <laughs> so that's definitely a positive. Uh, yeah. Ducore doing exactly what we expected, given exactly what he did at Watford. And then Alan bossing midfield, like, making smart passes, driving the ball forward, doing the defensive work, hustling everywhere, creating 2v1s on defense. I think that's exactly what Everton fans would have wanted. So it's a very strong start for Everton. It's a good goal by Calvert Lewin. Don't get me wrong there. He does a great job with that goal. Yeah. But for Spurs, I'm a little bit concerned because I think maybe I bought into the all or nothing hype just a little bit. And I thought like, okay, Mourinho's got a bunch of these guys on board. It's going to be a little bit better. He's going to have more time with them. Come the next season, they're all going to be together and playing this kind of, not harmonious style, because I would never go that far, but I would say that they're going to be all bought into the system. And yet, it's a lot of the same frustrations from the couple like final games at the end of last season. A great point made by uh, Charlie Eccleshare for The Athletic. Uh, Son has two goals in his last 10 matches. Lucas, zero goals in 16. Bergwijn, zero in his last nine. Ali, one from the penalty spot in the last 14. That's three goals, two from open play in that quartet's combined last 49 matches. So you're not seeing that creativity. And as I alluded to earlier, in the past, it was Harry Kane would still make up that difference. Harry Kane will find a way to score. The other team then has to go chasing. They have to get a little bit more stretched. And then you get a second one. Then you get a third one. Things are fine. But if Harry Kane isn't getting the touches, isn't getting those chances, or isn't able to take them as effectively or efficiently... Now you're in a bit of a worrying spot, and there's that old concern about Jose Mourinho not really building attacking sides, kind of letting his attackers do what they want, being more focused on the defense. But if you're not creating really anything in the attack, then you can't really rely on those patterns and that familiarity of the players. Yeah. So I have some big concerns about Tottenham now. Where are you on them, Ryan? I have some big slash hilarious concerns for Tottenham also. <laughs> um, that's a stunning stat about the uh, the lack of mm-hmm. goals between that quartet there, by the way. There was a moment about the half hour mark where uh, I think it was Sun broke away and he played the ball to Deli Ali, who was on the edge of the box, had two yep. men on him. And uh, he had Kane making a run, a, a cross field run into the box and was completely clear on goal. But uh, I think Deli had a, had a little shot instead. Yeah, he did. And the look on Kane's face of disappointment was palpable. And I've never seen Harry Kane run that fast. No. The way when he darted across the field, I saw Delhi with the ball, and I saw someone dart across the field. I was like, "Who the heck is that?" It's not Harry Kane because it was lightning quick, and he didn't get the ball. And I think that sort of summed up their afternoon a yeah. little bit there. But the, the one moment they had to show some creativity, they did not do it. I agree. Uh, and, and and if I could double down on that for a moment, because I noticed that moment as well for both Harry Kane being frustrated. You can see him gesturing to Son of like, "You should have played me in." And I don't think Son necessarily gets it wrong because I think in that moment it's a trickier pass to make, whereas laying it off to Dele Ali to hit first time, which he does not do. He takes a touch and then hits it. I think that does make a little bit of sense. What I thought was telling was Dele Ali after the shot, it's deflected over. I believe it goes deflected over for a corner. And he's sitting there and you can see him look at them like, I did good, right, guys? Like, oh, I almost scored. Like, you can see that moment of like, ah, it was close though, right? And then he realizes the two of them are arguing about the pass. And it was just a moment of like, he's expecting praise. He's expecting it to be a little bit of like, hey, we built something. Let's keep it going. 
maybe not even from a like, hey, I did something, right? Praise me, but more of a like, good stuff, guys. And instead, his two teammates in the attack were, were sort of arguing with each other about who, where the ball should have gone or if it should have been played. That felt telling to me that they're not even on the same page and how they react mm. to a chance. They weren't actually arguing about when the ball should have been played, by the way. They were arguing about which chocolate bar was best, um, imaginary <laughs> chocolate bar. That's uh, what they were doing. Um, Nonsense it, chocolate it, bars. That's what I have to say to that. <laughs> Made up, non-copyright, uh, infringing chocolate bars. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this was a very sort of a, a disappointing, ponderous Tottenham side. Very little urgency throughout this team. And I think Jose made a point about this team isn't mm-hmm. pressing. And it's almost as if this Tottenham team are doing exactly what they've been doing for well over a year. Yeah. And there were some stats on Match of the Day about their interceptions and their possession one, their attempted tackles. They had nine attempted tackles in this game, which ranks them like 11th in the Premier League, the, the match of the day two stat says. And I think it was and, with only 12 teams having played. So they're 11th yes. out of 12, yeah. 11th out of 12, correct. And they were 12th for interceptions and 12th for possession one. So very poor from them. And I believe it was Hoiberg who made six of those nine attempted tackles. Hoiberg being sort of the dirty scoundrel muscle man in the middle. Who Was it near the end? Did he put in a pretty appalling tackle on, I think, on Richarlison as well? Yeah, that he, sounds about right. Uh, he got away with and Hoiberg uh, a lot of chat about him a sort of Southampton's fans going see we told you he was extremely average but I think it was sort of indicative of this whole side like that that winks and Hoiberg pivot in the middle oh it was so uninspiring to watch so Harry Winks I don't think he played the ball forward all day it was sideways or backwards Uh, it was a bit negative and Hoiberg sort of no no creativity either all a bit dull there Uh, and even even so, so let's look at it this way. Everton had a few good players, new signings who performed really well. Mm-hmm. I'm not so convinced the new signings in the Tottenham side did quite the same thing with Hoiberg being a bit disappointing. And Matt Doherty, he got into the box a couple of times. I think he had a, almost had a very good shot where sort of um, Harry Kane looped a ball over to him, but not necessarily um, suited to a back four and not necessarily suited to a defence where he doesn't have uh, Willy Bolly covering his ass <laughs> most of the time. Because I think there was a couple of moments where... Where was it? When, when Richarlison missed, the, missed that really good effort early yeah. on, I think Doherty had left Alderweireld high and dry and Alderweireld had to try and keep up with Richarlison, which he couldn't do. Uh, and I well, think you talking maybe... about the, the bad pass from Ben Davies? Because I think the horrible yeah. pass from Ben Davies sort of alleviates some of the blame on either Doherty or Alderweireld. Yeah. That was a loose pass, but the point being that Alderweireld had to cover, True. You know, was expected to do the Will Bolly job. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which he, could, I mean, he's, he's, he's getting on in years and it not, not got as much pace and was clearly beaten for pace there. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I wasn't overly convinced by Doherty or, or, or Hoiberg or everyone else on the Tottenham team yeah I am happy that you've said his name first because I have like Daryl has always called him Matt Doherty so I've always gone with Matt Doherty and this reminds me of way back when when I hadn't seen uh, a certain Wigan manager's name written down and I had only heard the British pronunciation so I, I said once like Roberto Martinez and everybody looked at me like what did you you know his name is Martinez right I was not paying attention to that and for a moment when the commentators in this game kept calling him Matt Doherty and I had a moment of like, have I been saying this wrong the whole time? Because I've trusted Daryl's pronunciation. He's got that weird Midlands one. But no, it's Doherty, it seems. Or at least Ryan has said that too. So I feel a little bit better. Get it together, NBC Sports commentators. Uh, are they, are they, were the commentators pandering to the U.S. pronunciation? Because be. I know, I know, might be. I know Doherty's out here who would pronounce it Doherty, mm-hmm. but it's, he's Irish. It's very much Doherty. Okay. That's how you'd say that. All right. That's good to know. But yeah. I'm with you as well that I, I had, uh, 
a lot more enthusiasm for that signing. I thought it would work better. It seemed sort of a very logical fit. Uh, Matt Doherty as the right back. Yep. But you're right. Like, and and even that that blown sequence in which Richarlison should have scored, and you could have said that about three different times in this game. It could have yep. been a lot worse for Spurs. That is Doherty moving out way wide and a little bit high up the field, and it leaves you're right, like a good thirty yard gap between Alderweireld. And Doherty. So in that regard, that does feel a little bit like, yeah, he's used to being a wingback who can sort of get further up because he has that cover. So a good point there. And then I'm with you with on uh, Hoiberg as well. Daryl was very optimistic about him and I think was pretty positive about that signing in his Tottenham preview. Not to say that I disagree, just to say that maybe this is another game in which he is still figuring it out. He's still getting the team around him to sort of figure some things out. But I did see a lack of like attacking effort and defensive effort on occasion as the game went on. And I don't know if that's because it was a fitness thing, if that was a frustration confusion thing, or if that was a just team-wide vulnerability. But either way, the the new signings for Everton definitely shining a bit more than the ones for Spurs. Definitely so. And something else that's sort of indicative of Spurs being in trouble was... They were just banging in loads of crosses yeah. quite a lot and using the wide, trying to get the play wide and banging in loads of crosses, uh, not noticing that Yerry Mina and Michael Keane are like eight feet tall, both of them. And it was pretty futile to do this. And it reminded me of when, whenever Manchester City have a bad game or they get in trouble or they run out of ideas, that's what they do. They get to the touchline and try and bang in loads of crosses rather than try and work the ball into the box on the floor as is their want. So there was kind of some similarities with when City are in trouble, I, I found. With, with Tottenham in this game but it's, it was just also indicative they couldn't find a way through the midfield because the midfield <laughs> Everton's yeah. midfield was very impressive in this game as well so I will say for Tottenham fans I do want to give them a potential reason for optimism I, I shall try my best but stadium's very nice yeah there yeah. is that there's definitely that it's very very nice it's got lovely acoustics I'm assuming <laughs> even more lovely when it's a full crowd but I've forgotten what that sounds like because that doesn't exist uh but for Spurs fans who maybe have bought into Mourinho or like Jose Mourinho there. Those who do not, I think I will never convince because that's not what I'm trying to do. But for mm-hmm. people who still think that Jose Mourinho was a smart appointment, who think that he can pull it around, a lot of the post-match comments, I think, have been taken very much out of context. Like I saw one about, um, I can't, uh, you know, I can't coach the referees, so I have to focus on my players. And out of context, that sounds like, oh, he's complaining because the free kick is taken maybe six yards further up the field than it should have been, and he's saying that's the referee's fault, and that changes the whole game. You read that quote within context, and it really is a throwaway line to get at the heart of the matter, which is his players need to be better. They need to be better coached and better prepared. So his point is just like, yeah, I can't coach the referee. I got to coach my players and my players need to be better. And that's what we're going to focus on. Similarly, the lack of fight, lack of enthusiasm, like that's not it. It's like he throws them out of the bus or he attacks his players is how I've seen that branded. And really, it's just him saying what we've seen him say in that documentary very publicly, that there needs to be more fight. There needs to be more belief. And when Everton go one nil ahead, I'm more familiarity from that documentary is that it felt like Spurs just panicked. It felt like yeah. there was this, oh, no, we're losing. What are we going to do? This This is so bad. This is so bad. And they start making foolish passes and silly mistakes and just little things that you wouldn't expect of them. But I don't think that this is, oh, here we go. Mourinho's going to blow up and the players don't like him. I think that is slightly a constructive or constructed narrative. I think there are reasons for concern for sure. I think that he needs to do a lot more to tighten up the squad and get them playing in some semblance of an attacking order, but I don't think things are quite as bleak as maybe they're being made to seem. 
Maybe so, maybe so. But oh, oh, I'm not buying the uh, the free kick was taken in the wrong position argument. Maybe I'd buy that if it was on the edge of the box and mm-hmm. it had a you know yeah. quite a percentage difference in the distance. This thing was way out on the left flank when this ball came in, and it does detract from the fact that Lucas Didier's free kick was mm-hmm. absolutely perfect. Yeah. And that Calvert, uh, Calvert-Lewin jumped a full foot and a half above Eric Dyer to get that header uh, into yes. the back of the net, uh, yep. which didn't reflect well on Eric Dyer dropping back into centre-back position either. So I'm that just seemed like picking on something very minor in what was... They just got completely outplayed in that set piece. Yeah. Uh, so uh, two things there, because I went back and watched that a number of different times to see if there are any alternate angles or to see if anything really like untoward happens. Before I talk about that, I want to say you're absolutely right with Calvert-Lewin hanging in the air. It's a massive header. It's an incredible ball from Digne. It is perfect. It is the type of goal that is difficult to break down just because it is perfect execution in the delivery and then in the finish. And that's really what you can say about it. It's like, yes, it's a massive header, but there's not a lot in my mind, at least. There's not like a bunch of screens and it's a design set piece that leads to this person wide open at the back post. It's just a great run, a great ball in and a great finish. Mm-hmm. The other thing I paid attention to was wondering, because Spurs did that thing that I will never understand of when like the line sets up four yards ahead of the 18, like that, I don't, like, just stand on, you have a literal line there because by the time that ball is played in, the line that they're keeping four yards at the 18 is no longer a line because defenders have dropped in and now you're all over the place. And so I did wonder for a moment if maybe they had set up in relation to the original spot of the free kick and then it had been moved forward, but that is not the case. They set up in relation to where Lucas Mora is standing. He backs off a little bit, but it's not as though they were thrown off by the ball being moved or anything like that. I think it's just an easy thing to point to in that moment because you can't really say much else about it if you're Jose Mourinho, aside from that free kick shouldn't have been conceded and maybe we should have done a better job where we set that line. So I don't really buy into that narrative either. I don't really think it had that much of an impact, but I did want to mention it. And I also wanted to mention that once again, Everton looking very, very good. Yeah, good indeed. Maybe maybe this whole thing was because Harry Kane's uh, pre-match team talk wasn't good enough. Maybe he only used uh, six words instead of his standard seven. F- four F-bombs and six words instead of <laughs> seven in his usual ten? Yeah. Precisely. Okay. All right. So we shall keep an eye on what happens with Spurs and how Jose Mourinho fixes things. Or if we see the head shave happen by week two, then we know maybe things aren't going to be fixed. But for Everton fans, I think reason for optimism. Carlo Ancelotti has that team playing well, and I think they will continue to do so. Uh, We've got one more Premier League game that we want to talk about in detail. But first, we want to talk about today's sponsor, Ernest. Ernest with an exclamation point. Now is the time to get your student loan payments under control. You could be saving by refinancing your student loans with Ernest. Um, if you've been paying the kind of same rate consistently for a very long time, if you've been making that same monthly payment on your student loans, odds are you could reduce that payment and save by refinancing with Ernest. Ernest is a character played by Jim Varney. This is true. Oh, sorry, got the, I've got the wrong um, copy here. Sorry. Um, I love my high. St- I love my high student loan payment. Said no one ever. Yep. Check if refinancing Ernest could help you lower your monthly payments. Checking Taylor. It takes just two minutes. No toning spray required. Uh, and if your st- uh, student loan payment is too high, uh, then refining with, refinancing with Ernest could help you lower your monthly payment. Ernest goes to jail. Or Ernest scared stupid. Which one was the best one, Taylor? I cannot remember an Ernest movie, but I'm going to say Ernest. What? I'm going to say Ernest goes to jail. I don't know what Scared Stupid was, but Ernest in, in a jail situation. Is that with Evil Ernest as well? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. And Scared right. Stupid was like the Halloween one, but I, I liked both. I had both on VHS, I believe. 
I really wish that you had like written fake copy for a an earnest box set or something, and you just kept <laughs> reading from that as I did the actual earnest copy. If I uh, could have riffed on that for longer, I would have. I'm sorry. I do think understanding the earnest uh, Jim Varney plot line only takes about two minutes, which coincidentally is also how long it takes to check your new rate. It's very fast and easy yeah. uh, to start complete a few questions online. Again, only about two minutes and you'll get a personalized rate estimate without affecting your credit score. So, Ryan, if people would like to take action, if people would like to uh, check out what Ernest has to offer, I believe they could. And I believe they could do so with a discounted rate at that. Oh, you're quite right. You can get $100 of cash bonus when you refinance a student loan with Ernest. And you go to Ernest.com slash T-S-S. Ernest.com slash goes to jail. I mean, T-S-S. <laughs> Once again, that's $100 of cash bonus when you refinance your student loan at Ernest.com slash T-S-S. Not available, Not available in all states. states. I shall yeah. do the fine print reading. Are you ready? Go on. Visit Ernest.com slash DSS for more details. Terms and conditions apply. Ernest Student Loan Refinance Loans are made by Ernest Operations, LLC, NMLS, number 1204917, California Financing Law License, number 6054788, 303 2nd Street, Suite 401 North, San Francisco, California, 94107. Visit Ernest.com licenses for a full list of licensed states. Whew. That was long, but I can breathe. That was great. Can you do it again? Uh, No, but I will copy and paste it in and pretend like I did. Does that count? Ernest Goes to Jail, released in April 1990. It was only 81 minute running time. That's short. That wow. is barely a movie. Not <laughs> barely a service is what Ernest offers you. So thank you to Ernest for sponsoring today's episode. Ryan, let's talk Arsenal Fulham. I'm going to assume that's one of the teams that you were alluding to earlier, Fulham, when you were talking about teams that might be having a rougher season. Yeah, and I think I tweeted a little hastily while watching this game that I've got no indication here that Fulham are going to stay up. Sort of not uh, conceding the fact that this was not a full-strength um, Fulham team. None of their new signings, no Mitrovic, mm. uh, and in need of quite a few uh, positions to be filled. Maybe that Tim Ream position to be filled as well. Maybe yeah. a winger, uh, maybe a, a defensive midfielder will be handy. It seemed like... This uh, was a very flattering opponent for Arsenal to have on their opening day, buoying them with confidence. Um, Fulham, not really very good at uh, defending, not very good Mm -hmm. at attacking, losing the ball an awful lot. Uh, It made Arsenal look good. It made their new signing shine. And it made their set-piece coach probably get a raise because Hmm. uh, they were much, much better in that department too. Uh, I, I would say, I think for me, this is a case of things being two things, of Arsenal being very, very good and Fulham being the opposite of that. Because by my count, this was nine of their basically like normal 11 starters from last season. Uh, whether or not that remains the case, I think is the point you're making with like Tom Kearney and Harrison Reed, the performance they put in. Do you maybe give Jean-Michael Serry another chance? Uh, the, the big, big signing who has not really panned out yet. Does he come back in? Mitrovic, maybe does he make that difference? So there are, you're right, some players who maybe could come in. In, could have an impact but I was definitely concerned that this is a team that played a lot of games last season have that familiarity and the narrative on them coming in was Scott Parker has found a way to sort of keep some of the attacking grit but at the same time making them much more defensively solid they play better they keep possession they're able to move it the question then was can they keep that going in the Premier League and I think we sort of have an answer at least an early answer of not in the way they intended, because Arsenal not really looking too bothered by a lot that Fulham threw at them. So I think Fulham will definitely need to figure some things out very, very quickly. For Arsenal, I did feel like they had 
resolve some things, though there is the almost calamitous moment inside of the first, like, what, four minutes or four seconds or something like that, where <laughs> there's the miscommunication between Gabrielle and Leno, almost leads to an own goal, or at least a, a chance there for Fulham. It does not, and in the end, Arsenal get the 3-0 win. What impressed you from Arsenal and what they did in the game? Um, I think, uh, well, let's talk about uh, the one thing that I think has been the game changer for them, certainly in this game. Sure. Uh, uh, who knew that fixing Arsenal was uh, the the, uh, the way to do that was to get a player who wasn't good enough to get in Chelsea's team? Um, William was very good yeah. in this game, wasn't he? With this, was it three assists in the end? Yeah, very good. Uh, I, I, just, I thought Arsenal just they they tend to be very good. Arteta Arsenal tends to be very good against bigger teams, mm-hmm. and it seems like they've now found a way to beat the less expansive teams in the bottom half. It seems like, I, I don't know, are you getting what I'm saying here? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. like, not only are they much sort of got a bit more solidarity and open play, but as, as I mentioned there, the set pieces looked a lot better. Just looked like all around a more solidified unit, I thought. Which is interesting because we do have the pre-match situation fight <laughs> scrap with uh, Denis Ceballos and Eddie Nketiah. They're in a, if people haven't seen it, they're in a rondo. Uh, Ceballos is in the middle trying to win the ball back. The ball goes to Nketiah and Ceballos, I think, goes in a little bit too hard for Nketiah's liking. There's a, a moment of a scrap there. Then play resumes and it happens again. I think Does that again Nketiah, straight away. <laughs> yeah, and I think Nketiah sort of kicks the ball at Ceballos in a very, like, how dare you come at me again moment. And... I have sympathy for both because I think Ceballos is trying to win the ball back. Nobody wants to be in the middle. I think for Enketia, neither of them is starting. This is sort of the the substitutes, keeping the ball moving, keeping their legs fresh. Um, and so you don't expect that level of intensity, except that I do think that's what Mikel Arteta expects. And this feels a little bit like what Jose Mourinho is talking about, that if you want to win, everybody on your team has got to be hungry and got to be trying to constantly prove that they should be starting, that they deserve to be starting. And the way you do that is with that intensity and with that effort. So I feel like yeah. we saw some of that fight a little bit from the two. And then I think a key point there being that it's pretty much resolved very quickly, if not before the game, then afterwards, but no lingering issue there. And I know, I think, was it Rio Ferdinand who was talking about it as not being a big deal either? Yeah, he said, yeah, that happens, you know, one or two times a week in training. And I'm thinking, <laughs> does it really? Does that really <laughs> happen twice a week in training? I know you worked with Roy Keane for a long time, but that seems excessive for your colleagues to not be getting along quite that much. And yeah. he was sort of he sort of dismissed it as like, that happens all the time. We just happened to see it on camera. Because they were doing it on the field before yeah. a game when there were cameras. Yeah, yeah, that's why we saw it. Yeah, I, I do wonder if that happens if there are fans there, because that is a thing that like everybody would pay attention to and see and it would be Mm. probably a larger deal so it still gets caught it's still discussed um but it is a strange thing about soccer it always confounds my wife and my uh adult games when two guys will get into it and be like in each other's faces and battling the whole game and there's yellow cards and at the end it's like high fives and laughing as they walk off the field and it's that like how can you switch from one to the other and i think that's kind of it's almost like an accepted thing of like yeah emotions run high there's intensity getting ready for a game adrenaline is there but you can sort of let it go because neither one truly meant anything. I think if it kept happening and it felt like more of a persistent feud than a one-off incident, so, it's probably a bigger issue. But to the heart of the matter, it's that they come together, they deal with it. As Rio Ferdinand says, maybe it's not that big of an, a matter. And I think with that in mind, you have the team playing kind of a unified soccer that it felt like there was there were smiles when there were missed chances as opposed to frustration. There wasn't right. a lot of gesticulating for why didn't you play that ball that I think we did even see at this point last season in the first couple games. There was visible frustration, a visible lack of identity with Arsenal. And I think a lot of that 
has been resolved, to my eye at least, in this first game. Again, I don't want to jump to massive conclusions here, but I found this to be a very convincing win, even if Fulham were themselves not particularly convincing. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think that all the positive body language that was absent from Tottenham was very much here with this yeah. Arsenal team, as you say there. And the new signings were looking very good. Gabriel looking very good. Even Mohamed Elneny looking good. Right? The, the, new signing Mohamed Elneny. <laughs> well, new signing in that they were good while he was playing with right. uh, in in the team, which doesn't yeah. always happen. But like this Arsenal team looked very good in transition. Even uh, you know Hector Bellerin was very good, even when he did that hilarious rugby tackle yeah. for which he got the yellow card late yeah. on. It, it just it just looked like a very positive, enjoyable Arsenal side to watch. I thought it was a uh, yeah, yeah very, very impressive stuff and indicative of the fact that I think Arsenal will be a bit more of a challenger this season. Yeah. I also thought there were interesting moments. Like, again, a midfield in a... Uh, Arsenal go with a back three of sorts, and then you've got the midfield two of El Nenny and Shaka, which, mm. if you're an Arsenal fan, you probably saw that and thought, like, oh, no, uh, we're flying uh, through the air. This is not going to be good. And I think if there had been fans, again, I think there are moments... Shaka has two sort of whiffs at the top of the box where he should have done better but doesn't make good contact. And I thought it was telling that there wasn't a big reaction to that, and there hasn't been. There wasn't a, like, oh, Shaka letting us down again. Is he good enough? Should he be starting? Should he be a leader for this team? And maybe there is an, an element of you don't have the fans there. Some of the narratives maybe go out the window. It's a bit more relaxed because even when he misses that, it's a little bit teasing. It's a little bit like, oh, he should have done better. And I go back to the Gabriel thing where there are other moments in which a center back like, mishear, like, doesn't hear something or thinks he hears something and there's a miscommunication. The ball almost goes in and a goalkeeper screams at the defender. The defender screams back and suddenly there's tension right away. And I think Leno and, and Gabriel were both sort of just smiling at each other like, oh, that was almost bad, right? Like, oh, yeah, let's not do that mm-hmm. again. Like, you need that relaxed vibe. You need that approach yeah. so that then when you do have a moment like with Ceballos and Enketia, it doesn't boil over because there's an air of like, yeah, but we're all, we're all friends here. We're all family. It's going to be fine. Maybe they needed that fight to succeed. And I think um, the best moment of the game was the third goal. That really, really good team goal. Sort of Community Shield-esque team goal. With those really tight passes coming out of the box. And then, I think it was Elneny who sort of flicked the ball over his man to beat him and gets the ball to Willian, who does that perfect crossfield ball to Aubameyang with a really nice finish. And it just felt like as soon as Elneny had beaten his man and got the ball to Willian... I just felt there's going to be a goal here because you could just see the momentum going across the field. You thought there's no way this move doesn't end with a goal or a really good shot. And it was one of those moments where I almost felt like I'd seen the future before it happened. And that happens very rarely to me. Otherwise, I'd be much richer from my um, gambling. But um, I know what you mean, though. I really do. It felt like, and it felt like the commentator sensed it as well because Uh of the the, the raise in his in his tone as well. But that was just. A, a, a good moment, a really good team goal, and a good indication of, I think, uh, some good times on the horizon for the yeah. Arsenal Football Club. I hadn't really thought about it like that, but if you look at the three goals, uh, Lacazette's, the opener, is a bit of a scrap. It's kind of like mm. a fortuitous moment. He gets on the end of it. It's some not great defending from Fulham, but it's still it's the scrap and the fight and the kind of never give up nature you need to get a goal then you have gabriel with the second off of a great set piece it's a big header but he makes good contact i think maybe too what's that the the header nut makes the keeper it does exactly i think there was some (laughs) speculation that maybe it it, he heads it into his own body i'm not sure about that one but i'll say he gets there he puts it on frame he gets it down that's always going to be a problem so it's it's good fight it's good set piece uh attacking and then for that third goal it is good team play as you said and then there's that feeling with Yang in that position of like oh this is going back corner very hard and that's exactly how that went down an informal Yang should have premier league defenders 
slightly nervous to very nervous, somewhere in between there. Yeah, and I think him and Lacazette are really going to benefit from having Willian because of the service he's going to give them. So I'm excited to see how those three combine. Poor old Pepe. He ain't getting in this team while those dudes are like that, is he? No, he's not, because as long as Willian is is doing what he did in this game, which is being very good and causing lots of problems, and like riding challenges, picking up loose balls after challenges come in, he'll kind of like, I kept seeing him, like a, like an Arsenal player would be on the ball, a Fulham player would come clattering in, there'd be a little bit of like indecision, the ball would be a little bit loose, and then suddenly Willian is there picking the ball up and dribbling forward like 20 yards. He just seemed to be the all-action wide midfielder or wide attacker they've been needing, that mm. front three of Willian, Lacazette, Aubameyang. Uh, yeah, again, looking very consistent for it being only the first game. Makes me feel like Mikel Arteta knew exactly what he wanted with Willian and got exactly that. I think knew he needed a more solid defender, got that with Gabriel. I don't know if they're done with their signings. I don't know. Uh, I know they're not done with their contract signings because they're hoping to pen Aubameyang to a permanent long-term mm-hmm. deal. Um, but we'll see what happens there. But for now, I think Arsenal fans... Uh, should feel very optimistic. So too should Leicester fans, maybe Newcastle fans too. We'll talk a little bit about those two teams in just a moment. Ryan, anything else from Arsenal Fulham before we move along? I just want to say that I bet there's no Tottenham fans listening to this podcast anymore because not only did we slate them, but we've been praising the heck out of their uh, fiercest rivals. Yeah, I didn't think about that. Sorry, guys, if you are still (laughs) listening, the zero of you who are. But I guess some Arsenal fans are, hopefully, so that's good. Um, If people are listening and want a new job, Ryan, then we've got a sponsor for them, don't we, sir? Do we have a sponsor for them? Small uh, small businesses have unique mm-hmm. needs, and despite the current uncertainty, one thing remains unchanged. It's the importance of having the right people on your team. Don't we know it? When your business is ready to make that here that next hire, LinkedIn Jobs, LinkedIn Jobs, that is, can help by matching your role with qualified candidates so that you can find the right person quickly. Taylor, I've known my way around a few job sites, and I have to say, legit, LinkedIn Jobs is the most impressive one. When you fire up linkedin.com slash jobs, if you've got a profile on LinkedIn already, it tailors all the jobs to your resume already. So I'm, I've just done it for me, and I'm looking at all these jobs and thinking, hey, I could do that. Hey, I could do that. Mm, they wouldn't pay me very much, but hey, I could do that one too. So it's, it's a really, really good job site and very impressed with it. So I want to ask you some more questions about that because I believe I have a LinkedIn account. I believe I have not checked it since 2013, I would guess I'm correct in saying. I'm pretty mm. sure that maybe TSS is mentioned in my LinkedIn account. Uh, I think my old company that I worked for is more prevalent there. I think I have like my business suit and my business look going as well. So Ryan, for a person who is maybe more familiar with LinkedIn and LinkedIn jobs, what is it exactly that like makes the difference for you? Why does it make you feel maybe a little bit more energized? Because sometimes when I was looking for jobs via LinkedIn back in 2013, it was a bit more of a like, I, I guess I could apply for that. I guess that would work. And it sounds to me like the, the this for you is much more of a like, yeah, why not? Oh, I could do that. I could do that yeah. too. It feels more energizing. I think I'm sucked in by the very nice design of the page and mm. also the fact that it is just so gosh darn tailored to me. If you go to other uh, job sites, you've got to put, input a lot of data. You've got to try and find things which, you know, uh, sort the wheat from the chaff, if you will. <laughs> but I feel like looking at this, there is lots of opportunities and it's done by uh, geo-targeting stuff as well. So it's a lot of it's local to me as well. Uh, and I'm looking at the kind of jobs where I think, yeah, I could literally do that. Yes, they know me. Yes, they've seen my experience on LinkedIn 
and uh, a very, very impressive stuff. And we all know LinkedIn. Most of us know LinkedIn, apart from those of us who haven't um, updated their profile yeah. since 2013. Yeah. Uh, an active community of professionals with over 690 million members worldwide, including Taylor Rockwell. Um, and LinkedIn's scr- uh, job screens candidates with the hard and soft skills that you're looking for. Very That's nice. right. TSS, not yet ready to make our next hire. Maybe one day. Uh, but if you, uh, dear listener or dear listener business, are, uh, when your business is ready to make the next hire, find the right person with LinkedIn jobs. You can pay what you want and get the first $50 off. I'm assuming that relates to LinkedIn as opposed to uh, salaries and such. Just visit linkedin.com slash TSS. Again, that's linkedin.com slash TSS to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions do very much apply. Thank you very much to LinkedIn for sponsoring today's show. Thank you very much to Ryan for uh, hyping LinkedIn appropriately. I do appreciate that. Ryan, Taylor, what when else? we have a sponsor that I believe in, I like to go full in on it. So I've been big on the toning spray, big on LinkedIn jobs today. So <laughs> you, you're very welcome for that. I do want to hear more about your business suit, though. Please tell me more. I remember the boss at the time. I will tell you this. Uh, he told me he needed me to give a look of disdain. And I was like, what? And he was like, yeah, I want your profile photo to look like, like you think you're better than the people. You think you, and I, for the life of me, cannot pull that look off. So I think in the end, it just looks like I smell something bad. I think it's my look of like, I think I'm better than you. It's mostly just like, I'm sorry, I smell something. That was Who my. Who told you to do this? Uh, my old employer, who's no longer my employer. Goodness me. What yeah, it's advice. my employer who was like, don't worry, we're definitely going to let you like be the managing editor and run the company. Oh, but I'm not going to pay you for six months. I hope that's fine. <laughs> and you know what, Ryan? It was not fine. So here we are in a much happier position talking about all things soccer, talking a little bit more about the Premier League. Yeah. I would like to take this moment uh, as we f- kind of fun- come to the end of the show to apologize to Lester just a tiny little bit because in my season preview, by the way, it was the case that I think, I don't know if it was like odds played odds and evens played evens but i feel like every team that i previewed played another team i previewed and every team that daryl previewed played another team daryl previewed i got my west brom preview more or less right they lose three nil they have some concerns for lester i was kind of incorrect because i had some concerns about the fullbacks castagna coming in with ben chowell departing you had james justin having to deputize because ricardo Pereira is still out with injury and it seemed to me like they wouldn't be able to attack with those fullbacks as much or at least not as readily as early. So I thought they were going to have to be a bit more defensive. I thought they would therefore not be as strong in their attack. And instead, Castagni, I believe, scores the opener in this game. And both of them, uh, James Justin, I think, draws one of the penalties. Very great attacking play from those fullbacks for Leicester, creating opportunities, creating two penalties. Leicester looking very strong with a 3-0 win early and kind of right back to where they were last season, which is performing very, very well as I think, ah, but maybe they're not going to keep doing that. And then I'm assuming that means that next week, Castagni will have two goals and James Justin will get a hat trick or something like that. That seems fair, right? That's not over-expecting things. Well, I hope so, because I signed Castagna to my Fantasy Premier League draft team, and I have been signing. fully vindicated on that decision. Uh, did you know the last time Leicester won that opening match of the season, they won the Premier League? Here we go. That's it. It's it's official. Leicester, Leicester going to win the title again, based solely <laughs> off that statistic. I just can't get over... Like, Castagni, um, uh, Michael Richards, for Match of the Day, did a good job of sort of tracking his involvement. He does have one where Castagni plays the ball in maybe 10 yards ahead of the forward line. And Michael Richards said, I think of like, if a forward were able to get to that, it might have been a good chance. And it was like, okay, that's maybe not as strong of an argument. But I thought... <laughs> 
the way he attacked with such confidence, but though in the way he was never really caught out, to my mind at least, not like horrifically, but then tracks runs, like overloads in the middle, goes from one side to the other if needed. It seemed like he had been playing in that system for a very long time, which he decidedly has not. He's been in a back three slash back five at Atalanta. Yeah. He doesn't have those same issues we talked about with Matt Doherty. It seemed mm. like he fits really well. James Justin continues to perform. So I have significantly fewer, at least two fewer concerns about Leicester this season. I'm kind of moving them up in my estimations in the table. Yeah, I would say that's a, a wise decision to make based on the evidence we have. Also, I'm thinking um, maybe two teams named West are going to get relegated this year. Perhaps this one with their barcode shirts. Not and a then lot to write maybe the other one losing this weekend as well? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Taylor. I think so. Yeah, not a great start for West Ham United. A 2-0 loss at home, such as home field advantage matters. Uh, 2-0 uh, to Newcastle with a goal from uh, Callum Wilson, which made me very happy, happy because... Happic. I was reading Jeff Hendrick as the other goal scorer. Uh, Callum Wilson made me happy because my preview for Newcastle was focused on... This is not just me bragging, but this is me sort of feeling like, okay, this is Newcastle doing what we expected, which is Callum Wilson being the target striker, the scrappy goal scorer that I think they have not had and have been looking for. I think Joe Linton was meant to be that but is not that i think callum wilson is and that he gets that first goal they have to be optimistic about that that jeff hendrick gets the assist and then gets the second goal a player who they get on a free from burnley that has to feel like a smart signing even if nothing else happens he got a goal and assist on the season to open it up and to get that win in the very beginning Mm. seems like things are on the right track even as the news uh, comes across that newcastle Likely going to go to court over that Saudi takeover. So that still seems to be in the works. That still seems like a thing that could happen down the road. But for now, at least if it does, uh, they won't be taking over a team in the championship, it seems, because Newcastle off to a strong start. Yeah, it's very much so. I've made some good signings, as you say, and uh, looking pretty pretty uh, robust at the moment. The same cannot be said for West Ham, no. who are... Uh, the Sabias and Ketia fight is their spirit animal at the moment. <laughs> Um, and it seems like it's not a very happy camp at the moment, and I I did predict that they would go down, and I think, sorry, West Ham fans, now's kind of the time. I can can see you slipping down with them and um, with West Brom and Fulham. Is there there one or two or whatever many things specifically that you don't like about them or you think are problematic? Is it just sort of a lack of quality in your mind across the board? There's a lack of quality. There's a, a, a Tottenham-esque lack of creativity. Mm-hmm. They ca- like a lot of games when you watch them last season, you thought, good, listen to me, what am I watching here? And I think the, mo- the most important thing is the negativity within the camp, the negativity within the club. To have like Mark Noble speak out, uh, was it a week ago, uh, uh, and, and uh, against the decisions of his own club, I think it's pretty Oh, the Dian Ghana sale? Yeah. Yeah, and I think it, that's very, very uh, troubling that mm. the, the, the captain would do that. So I, I, don't, I don't have a lot of faith in West Ham um, and their ability to survive this season. Do you have more faith in West Ham to survive or Peacock not to frustrate you? That's a confusing question. I'm not even sure I understood it. Oh, I'm, I get what you mean here. I am nay happy with NBC Sports <laughs> at the moment, Taylor. I've been very happy with NBC Sports for their coverage of the Premier League since it started. I think they do a wonderful job. I think their studio experience is excellent. I think their commentary team is uh, top-notch. This whole Peacock thing, though, has ground my gears rather a lot oh boy. this weekend. Oh boy. When I sit down to watch Tottenham Everton this Saturday... To my dismay, I find out it's exclusively on Peacock. And then I find out quite a lot of games are exclusively on Peacock. uh, We're recording on Monday. The the Chelsea game later on today is also on Peacock. If you look ahead to next weekend, Taylor, of the 10 fixtures, eight of them are on Peacock. 
80% of next week's fixtures are on Peacock exclusively. Now, I'll couch this in the fact that Watching the Premier League here is relatively cheap compared to, say, the home market, the UK, where it's a lot more expensive. It's like £25 a month just to have the Premier League, and then you've got your Sky package on top of that. So four ninety nine a month isn't too terrible a thing for Peacock. But I've, I've, I've just been a bit annoyed at how it was kind of teased as a replacement, an improvement yeah. replacement service for gold, and it's not because it's taking broadcast games away from NBC Sports Network. There's no reason why they couldn't show that Tottenham game on the broadcast channel. They've moved it to Peacock to make us buy Peacock, which is something we're all going to have to do because we're going to miss 80% of the games next weekend. So, I'm, so I'm a I bit- did not know. I did yeah. not know the 8 of the 10. That, yeah. that is a frust- frustrating and troubling number. My hope would be that that's an early season thing to drive people to Peacock, and then it bounces out a little bit more. I don't know if that's the case. Maybe. Uh, but I'm with you. That I was, I was prepared for it to be on TV. I was all set for it. I then started looking at the channels, and I was like, huh, maybe I'm missing something. I am slightly stupid. Then came your message of, like, it's only on Peacock, which made more sense but was simultaneously frustrating just for a little bit of the disruption. 8 of the 10 next week, a larger disruption. I'll put it that way. Yeah, and it's just very frustrating because I feel like I dumped. I was happy to dump cable to to, to go for the streaming model, but mm-hmm. I've just got so many streaming services yep. that I that I uh, have now. I have to have like I've got a, a streaming cable package, which you know I, I've got. I have Hulu. I've had uh, I've had previous ones. I've had Fubo. I've had YouTube. I've had all of them to try them, and I sort of go in rotation. They're all about sixty dollars a month. Yeah, and then oh, you've got the ESPN Plus if you want to watch uh, Serie A and whatnot. You, you need to, your cable if you want to watch the Bundesliga and, and, and be in sports. Uh, CBS, you need to have their subscription now for the Champions League. And, and that's on top of all your other stuff, your HBOs and your Primes and your Netflixes. It feels like there's so it's so fragmented at the moment and there's so many subscriptions needed. It's just not a very pleasant user experience. So I'm... I, I would, I wouldn't, I'd feel better if sort of Peacock was built into the broadcast, maybe, and you could buy it as like a subscription channel, so it was at least in the same place. I don't know. I just feel like it's a bit price gougy. I'm not very happy about it. I am still like this is first of all. Let me just say up front, this is very much a first world problem, a first 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 world problem. But sure. like to your point, I subscribe to so many different things. Some of them because of sports and wanting to be able to watch as many games as possible. Some of them because I like watching movies. But it has gotten to the point when if there is something that isn't available to stream, it feels like an injustice. Because it's like, but with the 400 <laughs> things I subscribe to, I can't watch Skyfall. For real. I have to buy Skyfall. You're going to give me the first two James Bonds and not the third one, which is my favorite one of the Daniel Craig series. Even if it becomes like Home Alone, that's unacceptable. End of Skyfall rant, also end of Peacock rant. Uh, which is to say, I don't <laughs> love that it's 8 out of 10. I hope it bounces out a bit more because that is kind of what gold was, right? It was more of the, if Crystal Palace is playing West Brom, no disrespect meant, but you know what I mean when I say those two teams. Like, that was the type of fixture that I feel like tended to be on NBC Sports Gold, not necessarily Spurs Everton. Well, gold was for if there was five 3 p.m. slash 10 a.m. kickoffs, then you get four of them on gold, and Mm there'll always be a broadcast slot game on the broadcast channels. And that's evidently not the case anymore. Maybe they've been emboldened by the fact that Bleach Report and CBS have put their content out on apps and seen that people yeah. do buy them. So I don't know. It just feels like we're trying to grow this sport in this country and we're, make, we're putting obstacles like this in front of people. And I don't really like that. But you're not an obstacle, Ryan. You make talking about and hearing about soccer easy and People like Weston McKinney continue to get people excited about soccer in America. Weston McKinney does play this weekend. Uh, final thing I wanted to mention before we call it a day. He starts in a 3-5-2 
for Juventus. That's that's all we need to know. Three five two. He starts. That's it. That's mm. the future. He's going to win the World Cup. Uh, I should add, it was in a first. It was he played the first half in a five no win. It was one nil at halftime when he subs out uh, in a preseason friendly. Bentoncourt subs on, and it feels like it's going to be maybe the opposite of that going forward. Bentoncourt starts the season. Maybe Weston McKinney gets ten or fifteen minutes at the end. I'm still fine with that, but I just wanted to point out that McKinney is already getting the minutes. There was the photo of Cristiano Ronaldo with an arm around him that I think had some people excited. Uh, people, big fans of bright jerseys were probably excited to see Weston McKinney wearing whatever jersey that was. Ryan, your thoughts on a bright orange kit? They're great. Tell me the time, well done. baby. Well done. Uh, but yes, yeah, so Weston McKinney does get minutes. Uh, but that is about all I have to say about that because I have not seen those minutes. I just know that they were in there. But in an, a, I think a first half of a friendly that was not televised to my knowledge. Uh, so well done to Weston. Well done to <laughs> Liverpool and Leeds and Everton and Arsenal. Less so to some of the other teams we've talked about. Ryan, anything else from the weekend you'd like to discuss before we call it a day? Uh, let's see. We covered the soccer. We covered beard masks. Nope. Mm-hmm. We're all set. Good. Ernest, we got Ernest movies in there. So it's important. <laughs> now, now I'm going to go check if there's any streaming services showing Ernest films. If there's not, if there's that's not. the next one. It's it's uh, the Ernest app. You go there. Uh, it's I, you can't call it the Ernest app though, right? It has to be like the Varney app. <laughs> Let's brainstorm this off air, but for now, Ryan, thank you very much for taking all the time to hear my nonsense and talk to me about some of that nonsense on today's episode. Note to self, pitch Varney flicks. <laughs> Always a pleasure, Taylor. Never a chore.